Ghosts. Spectres. Whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As at the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting Podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it. But hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Start, are you starting? I, I, I'm, I'm starting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to History of a Haunting. Hi, guys. <laughs> We've been doing this for almost a year, and we are so polished and professional by now. Oh, my God. Isn't it remarkable? It's remarkable that <laughs> we're still doing this after a year. And people are still listening, and we're gaining listeners and oh, Patreons and followers, and it's, that's truly remarkable. <laughs> This dumpster fire of a podcast is really doing well. Thank you, guys. Thanks. We love you. We appreciate it. Yeah, we've got a really great location to bring to you today. Today we're going across the pond to England, and we are going to be discussing all things Dover Castle. All right. I'm excited. Me too. Um, it's in Kent, and that isn't any location that we went to when we went um, to England on vacation several now years ago if you can believe that Mm. arch (laughs) um but uh yeah we pretty much stuck to london and like i think the furthest out we went was stonehenge uh but there's so many more places that are on like our must-see list and dover castle is a thousand percent one of them for me oh awesome maybe not my mother Mm. you know how she is about ghosts which is ironic given that she's a co-host guest host audience audience Audience, really. <laughs> uh, live studio audience for a paranormal podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Dover Castle, I'm excited about this one. Um, just a couple of things that we need to uh, go over are endless vocal prattles, or EVPs, if you will. We have um, a bunch of new stuff on board for our upcoming episodes. We're getting into the holiday season and the spooky season, guys, so... Archie and I are making sure that we have selected locations that are sure to make you want to throw up a little. Um, uh, Aaron, I'm, I'm looking at you. Uh, oh. Yeah. Thinking about the episodes we have coming up, she's not going to love them. That's uh, all right. I mean, it's all right. It's uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she loves them all anyway. I mean, she does love them all anyway, but, like, listening to them, she's like, I want to tear the flesh off my face, because they're, t- they're all <laughs> horrible stories. Um, in a scary way, not that we tell them horribly. <laughs> Put that caveat out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we do. We're, we're getting into the holiday season, guys, and Archie and I just had a very in-depth, very long podcast meeting, talking about all the amazing stuff that we're going to bring you guys, all the amazing stuff we're going to bring our Patreons. And um, it was just so long because, well, we were 
drinking and and just BSing through catching a lot of it, up. catching up through a lot of it. We haven't recorded, Venting, yeah, yeah. We haven't recorded in person in a couple of weeks, so we had we had a lot of catching up and stuff to do. So um, cheers, clink. Cheers, clink. Yay. Oh, did you just cheers clink the I microphone? Clink the microphone. <laughs> such a dickhead. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got a, a bunch of really fun new stuff that we're bringing to you guys for the holiday season. Um, we're planning new stuff for the Patreons. I'm really excited about that. We've got a lot of fun stuff for the Patreons coming up. So if you haven't joined us yet, join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash H-O-A-H podcast. We've got a $2 donor level and a $5 donor level. Uh, so go check out our Patreon page and see what all you get at each different level. Because we've got a bunch of really cool stuff that we're, we're bringing your way. We yeah. I've been working a lot. So... Uh, we, we've dropped the ball on, on our Patreons, and we really need to up our game. And so Archie and I met this uh, afternoon before we recorded to discuss how we're going to up our game with the Patreons, and I'm really excited about all this, <laughs> all this shit. It's, oh, me too. It's going to be great. Speaking of Patreons... Yes, tell them. We have our new Patreon of the week, Layla. Yay! Thank we, you for coming on board. We really appreciate having you here. We do. Thank you so much. We're, we're very, very grateful, and um, we welcome you. You uh, joined just in time, because like I said, you know, we've got a ton of stuff coming your way. Yes, so Layla, thank you. You are our Patreon of the week. So everybody, let's give a big round of applause, standing ovation for Layla. Yay! Uh, woohoo! Thank you, Layla. We are we are we are so happy to have you and welcome. So um this episode, Arch, the next EVP that I wanted to talk about um, is that this episode on Dover Castle is going to be dedicated, um, and I didn't tell you this beforehand because I, well, one, I forgot to write it down on the meeting notes, and um, <laughs> that's just, I mean, Archie's used to this crap now. <laughs> oh, okay, Carrie, you've made a decision, go ahead oh, okay. and just, uh, go ahead and announce that. Here we go. I'll learn with everybody else. <laughs> Um, I want to dedicate this episode to um, a friend of mine who is also a listener, and I work with her. Her name is Amy, and um, Amy is, she's really lovely, and she's really wonderful, and (laughs) she's a lot of fun. Um, She and uh, her husband were listening to, and I think it was, they watched the video of the 1910 jail. And um, they watched it, and her and her husband were like, mm, fuck that noise. Like, no, 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 no. So uh, she, she had um, uh, messaged me at work after they had, had watched it, and, and she was like, uh-uh, no. But also, that's amazing. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to Amy because she is just so lovely. And you know how hard I've been working and how long I've been working and how many hours I've been pulling. And Amy's right there with me. So Well, any any friend of yours is a friend of mine. Yes, and definitely a friend of the podcast. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to Amy because she has, she's just really, really wonderful. And um, if I'm not doing the podcast, I'm working. And if I'm not working, I'm doing the podcast. So... Um, <laughs> The two of them uh, definitely go hand in hand. So, Amy, this episode is dedicated to you because I love you and I cherish you and I'm so fortunate that um, I get to work with you every single day and that you are a fan of the podcast. I, I 
I think that's the best part of everything about her is that she's a fan of the podcast. <laughs> um, she's really quite lovely. So Amy Dovercastle, this episode is for you. And then the last EVP I have is um, lost to my mind at the moment okay. because I didn't write them down. <laughs> And I always, always need to write shit down. <laughs> Otherwise, this happens. Do you have anything, Archie? I do not. You don't? Okay. All right. Well, let's just get right into it. All right. Um, this one we're going to call, guys, the Archie Bays Show. Oh. Because he has a phenomenal history to bring us on Dover Castle. It's very, very old. And I um, don't have too many hauntings. They're pretty... F- Amazing hauntings, but I don't have a lot of them. So we're going to call this one the Archie Bay Show. And uh, Arch, take it away. All right. I've got my wine here, so thrill us. Let me get a little bit of that before I get started. All right. So Dover Castle. Yes, those white cliffs of Dover in the United Kingdom. It's gorgeous. Have you seen it? beautiful. I've looked at pictures all my life. Isn't it amazing? I really had no idea that it was in the south east portion of the country i always figured it was southwest so it was it was intriguing for me oh, i guess i kind of just pictured it that way too yeah you would think it was further away from london right than it really is no it's an hour hour and a half oh my god now i'm really pissed we didn't go <laughs> we were in london damn it well, it's gorgeous it's, it's stunning beautiful. views the white cliffs against the blue ocean it's just remarkable mm-hmm, it's sure. really remarkable and uh, what I got, I found on EnglishHeritage.org.uk. Love it. Love it. Which, by the way, I'm sure you're going to say, but I'm going to usurp you here. Oh. They are the ones that are uh, charged with taking care of the castle. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, the origin of settlement on Castle Hill, where Dover Castle stands, may be in the pre-Roman Iron Age. The irregular shape and massive enclosed area of the castle earthworks are not typically medieval, more closely resembling a hill fort. In southern England, hill forts were built from about 500 BC until the Roman invasions, variously as places of permanent habitation or of refuge. Evidence of occupation in the first century BC was found during excavations in 1962. Oh, wow, it took that long for them? Wow, that's, a, that's cool. Okay. Seventy years after the Roman invasion in AD 43, construction of a fort began at the mouth of the River Dower. This was Dubris, a fort for the Classis Britannica, a Roman fleet that patrolled the Eastern Channel. Oh, wow, all right. The Romans built an octagonal tower-like lighthouse, or Pharos, on Castle Hill around the same time with another on the opposite hill in the Western Heights. These lighthouses supported fire beacons to act as navigation lights for ships approaching the narrow river mouth. The fort at Dubris was demolished around A.D. 215 and a new one constructed around A.D. 270, which continued in use, along with the lighthouses, into the 5th century. (laughs) You said that so impressively, into the 5th century. I'm like, wow, all right. Well, that's 500 years. I mean, sure, but like, I guess I was just kind of expecting, and kept it in use into the 18th century. 1984. (laughs) (laughs) This place is hella old, (laughs) tell you. The Pharos was later reused for the Church of St. Mary in Castro as a chapel and bell tower and can still be seen. St. Mary in Castro? In Castro. 
Okay. The Church of St. Mary in Castro dates to around AD 1000. Its exceptional size hints that it may have had a royal patron. Goodwin, Earl of Wessex, is one possibility. A oh. cemetery discovered during archaeological excavations in 1962 indicated that a community lived nearby. In uh, AD Again, when? 1002? 1000. 1000. So this is long before William the Conqueror even became long before. King of England. Mm-hmm. I mean, not much longer, but he was 1062. Even before the Roman invasion. Yes. Wow. Holy. Whoa. Okay. In 1066, William the Conqueror came to Dover after the Battle of Hastings to capture the port. He established a fortification, possibly around the church, Mm. but there are no surviving remains. Uh The castle was extended in the 12th century, although we know nothing of its appearance before the Great Rebuilding of the 1180s. (laughs) The Great Rebuilding of the 1180s. This is... I can't even wrap my brain around... The age. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that there's a history... A documented history, yes. Dating back to these ages. A thousand percent. Okay, sorry, go on. The castle visible today was established by Henry II in the decade of 1179 to 89. He spent lavishly creating at Dover the most advanced castle design in Europe. His engineer, Maurice, built the inner bailey and towers, part of the outer bailey, and a huge centerpiece, the immense Great Tower, a sophisticated building that combined defense with a palatial residence. Oh my god, this keep going. I just keep picturing it. I'm just like, yes. One important reason for this rebuilding may have been the new pilgrimage route to Thomas Beckett's shrine in Canterbury. With no substantial properties in Kent, Henry needed a magnificent and impressive setting in which to receive and accommodate important visitors making the journey. In 1204, King John lost the... Oh. Oh, that's... Edit. (laughs) No, I said it right. I'm hesitating. It's the... Duchy? Duchy? Spell it. D-U-C-H-Y? D U C A Duchy? Finish the sentence. Aaron, help us! Aaron, take notes. In 1204, King John lost the Duchy of Normandy to the French King Philip II, resulting in enemy territory just across the Channel. This prompted okay. more expenditure at Dover, furthering the design of Henry II on the outer wall and towers and the inner bailey. Hand up! Is this the same King John in the Robin Hood tale? As a matter of fact, it is. Cool, okay. How awesome. Yeah, that's based on a real story, guys. This was the castle that resisted determined sieges in 1216 and 1217 during the First Barons' War. When King John fought against a coalition of English barons and Prince Louis, Louis, heir to the French throne. Yeah, I had to read ahead for the French part. (laughs) (laughs) This is Versailles all over again. Oh, God, no. (laughs) The castle garrison, led by Hubert de Burke, repulsed all attempts to take the castle, though the Barbican and main gate at the northern end were severely damaged. Okay. When war ended in 1217, building resumed for Henry III. The vulnerable north gate was blocked solid and replaced by two more. The main... One at Constable's Gate on the west side, also a residence for the castle constable, and a secondary one, Fitzwilliam Gate, on the east. 
Let's talk for just a tiny second about the size of this place. It's massive. And all of these, like, gates that you're talking about and all of these battlements and things like it's huge huge and i mean just to kind of think about the age of the place and how you're talking about like the 1260s Mm -hmm. that's it's so impressive and tremendous that i can't even imagine like going there now to tour it and i feel like it would you would be really hard pressed to not be um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not motivated, but in, not inspired, but um, moved by just the age and the size and the scope mm-hmm. of a castle this big, built in these days that you're talking Even about. Even started 2,000 years ago. Yes. I mean, strategic locations are always obviously found. Right. But to continue to build and develop and continue to build and develop for right. thousands of years. Right, like you're only on the 1200s and I'm like this is so mind-blowingly impressive. Which I guess makes me sound like anybody born before 1900 was an idiot, which is not <laughs> what I'm trying to say, but I'm just <laughs> I, I'm sure they'll let us know. <laughs> please let us know because the episodes where we actually have paranormal experiences are really popular. So come on in. Well, come on. Berate me <laughs> through an EVP. Let me get my recorder going. Sorry. Anyway, I just, I'm just floored by everything you're saying. It's fascinating. The builders remade the Barbican and cut a tunnel under the outer wall to reach it. But I have a question. What's a Barbican? It's an outer perimeter wall. Oh, okay. Used in defense. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Via the new St. John's Tower that dominated the outer ditch and a covered passage across it. The passage continued as a tunnel under the spur where it divided into three, allowing defenders to defend the Barbican. So they could spread out. So it's a defense wall that then allowed people to defend the defense wall. Exactly. Wow, okay. I mean, it's But it was right on the coast, though, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like a redundant redundancy. Cool. I love those. Those are my favorite. Aren't they the best? They're the best. <laughs> shout, and out the, and to, <laughs> shout out to Word Girl for giving me my most favorite um, villain of all animated TV shows, Lady Redundant Woman. Lady Redundant Woman. Uh, I, I love, love it. I love Word Girl. Oh I love God. Word. Maybe we could somehow find out how they can sponsor us because we are a redundant redundancy <laughs> on the regular. Or all the time. All the time. Regularly, (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Building continued sporadically (laughs) under Henry III into the middle of the 13th century. By this time, the castle had reached a peak of development as one of the largest and most sophisticated castles in Europe. It included a royal residential complex lining the walls of the inner bailey. From the 1260s, the constable of the castle was also Lord Warden of the Clinique Clink? Counter at Macy's? Sink or... <laughs> C-I-N-Q-U-E. Aaron. Aaron. Look that up. Look that up. I'll go with the sink ports. What? what C-I-N-Q-U-E? Mm-hmm. Sink hmm. you? Sink. Sink? I don't know. At first you said Clinique, and I'm like, counter at Macy's. Yeah, I fucked that up big time. Go me. Go. Clinique. Yay. Ports. A royal Make officer... speak English. <laughs> We do so well with other languages. How do I you know. Fuck up Aoki English? Gahara. Like, I know, <laughs> Japanese. Sure. 
English? Aztec? No. Okay. English? No. No. Photographoft? <laughs> what? <laughs> Court horse? What? Jesus. <sighs> Patreons, join us. Pay for this. Yeah. More of this. <laughs> Pay for more of this, please. Support us. From the 1260s, the constable of the castle was also Lord Warden of the Sinkyu Ports, a royal officer charged with oversight of the semi-independent Sinkyu Ports to ensure their service to the crown. This is one factor which ensured that Dover remained of importance in the medieval period. We have only scant knowledge of the castle in the later Middle Ages, until the reign of Edward IV, when the Great Tower was remodeled as an occasional residence. Mm. This reflected Dover's location on the route to Flanders, which was ruled by the Duke of Burgundy, an important ally. Yes. Dover remained important under the Tudors, especially after Henry VIII built artillery forts in Dover and along the southeast coast in 1539-40. The Holy Roman Emperor Charles V came to the castle in 1522 and met Henry there at the start of a six-week diplomatic visit. The Great Tower's royal apartments were refurbished to receive Anne of Cleves on her way to marry Henry in 1539. This is my favorite part of the history. (laughs) Royalty last used the castle in 1625 when the Great Tower received yet another makeover for the French princess Henrietta Maria on her way to marry Charles I. The 1740s marked a new beginning as Britain emerged as a world power and came into conflict with its rival, France. Mm. In 1744-45, a failed French invasion and a Jacobite uprising prompted improvements to the nation's defenses. Works to the decaying buildings created a barracks in the inner bailey and a great tower, and the new barracks were erected in 1756-57 on Palace Green. I'm sorry, but I have to say this. I feel like as important as this place has been up until, where, where are you at, 1750, 1750. I'm surprised that this isn't, I mean, and maybe it is. Guys, I, in England, I'm American here, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I feel like this should be a more prominent, like, location, like, I mean, it wasn't technically a, a, a royal palace. But it had royal apartments. It, it did, yeah. And there's a, lot of, a, there's a lot of castles throughout England and Wales that do. But this place is just, I mean, like, I want to see this place as much as I want to see Hampton Court Palace. And I, so I kind of feel like it should, it, there should garner be a more, more attention. A little more fanfare about it. Yeah, I because think it's... it's got a very specific end, mm-hmm. and uh, not occupational, um, strategic location. Yes, it's very strategically placed, mm-hmm. and it's it's brilliant, phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, all of I mean, all right, I'm gonna let you finish because I, I couldn't help but go through the history when I was doing my portion, but. You're already touching on stuff that I didn't even go through in, in like my research when I stumbled upon the upon the history. So, well, uh, despite works to the decaying buildings created a barracks in the inner bailey and a great tower, the new barracks were erected in 1756 to 57 on Palace Green. The combined barracks accommodated 800 infantrymen 
an unusually large concentration for the time, indicating the importance of Dover. Because by now this thing is over 500 years old, right? Oh, God. 700? Uh, almost 2,000. As an Wait, occupied, by 17? Oh, shit. As an occupied region by before the Romans even That's invaded right. Britain. I'm bad at math, okay? Okay. Again, don't tell my boss, who also, I think, listens to this. <laughs> Simultaneously. <laughs> I'm about to be fired, and she able to spend a lot more time on the podcast. <laughs> Simultaneously, military engineers recognized the weakness of the spur as being vulnerable to bombardment by cannon from higher ground to the northeast. The Barbican was remodeled as an infantry strong point, while the outer wall of the castle on the northeast side was reduced in height and backed by an earthwork to help absorb incoming cannon fire. Oh, okay. So they realized where their weaknesses were and that, and they were, hey, this is a problem. We need to address it. that. They were fortifying it. Exactly. Wow. Over 2,000? Close to 2,000? This is the 1700s. The two new positions for detending, defending cannon fire were built at Bell Battery and Four Gun Battery. The greatest modifications to the castle since Henry II occurred during the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars between 1792 and 1802 and 1803 and 1815. Yeah, that little fucker didn't give up. I mean, just basically the summation of that. Concentrated mainly in 1794 to 1792. 99. Three huge earthwork bastions were projected from these new defenses, mounting cannon to fire along the eastern flanks and served by tunnels from the castle interior. The engineers also modernized the spur to allow a staged defense back across the inner ditch through St. John's Tower and via the medieval tunnel to the outer bailey. So they were using these old pathways. Okay, so I had come across on my research that initially those tunnels, those inner pathways were created by French forces as if they couldn't, they couldn't breach the battlements and the, the, what what do you call them? Barbicans? Sure. (laughs) Sure. They, the Barbicans. So they were like, well, if we can't get this place like over its walls, we'll go through the cliffs. Mm -hmm. And they were the ones that blasted tunnels to try to go and siege the castle from through the cliffs and up under it. Oh, see, I didn't read that. I'm I'm kind of reading it one-sided on the English side. Oh, okay. So you might have something more to tell me that I didn't find. Oh, okay. Yeah, so then then that's how those tunnels were created was from French forces were like, "Well, fine, we can't get to them over the walls. We'll go underneath the castle." And they started the tunnels which is then now what you're talking about. And then by the time that that battle was lost and England won that battle, mm-hmm. they were like, hey, look at all these fucking tunnels they made. <laughs> what a great idea. And we'll expand <laughs> upon that. I love it. <laughs> um, it was some... What what year are you in? The Nepali- ne- Nepali- Napoleonic Wars. Neapolitan ice cream, Neapolitan ice cream the wars. Neapolitan wars. Um, okay, so <laughs> these were well after Henry VIII. Um, this was a technique that they were actually using um, long before the Napoleonic Wars, uh, because Henry VIII used the technique 
um, when fighting the French. Um, I think in one of his the last wars that he was actually on their soil. Uh, no, in France. Oh, um, yeah, on France's soil. Yeah, on France's soil. Um, I, shit, the name. And they they took note. <laughs> the name escapes me. Shit. Uh, they Henry VIII had them do this same thing to get to in not I don't want to say Calais because that was a neutral English own or English I don't owned. Sorry, England. Bad with words. <laughs> um, but it was a technique that, that that Henry VIII's army, in one of his last battles, used to capture a French town. Oh, okay. Um, so it's interesting that, like... They turned around and used it against... <laughs> I mean, goddamn, yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> this... So the Napoleonic Wars were at least 200 years after Henry VIII. And I believe it was his army that, that did this. These tunnels, blasting, deciding oh. to try to go through the cliff. and how, how soon we forget. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. You can't apply that to any current situation. Like, literally none. I mean, it's just really, <laughs> really rare. Sarcasm. The new works included underground barracks and casemates at the south side of the castle and above ground at east casemates and spur casemates. A new entrance was made at Cannon's Gate on the southwest, and two earthwork bastions flanked the western outer wall. Inside the castle, the engineers built new gunpowder magazines and equipped the Great Tower as a vast store for gunpowder, shot, and other military supplies. Sounds like a super safe place to work. Right? When war ended in 1815, Dover Castle was a formidable artillery fortress and barracks. A thousand percent. (laughs) After 1815, there were nationwide reductions in military expenditure. At Dover Castle, the army vacated many of its barracks, including the underground casemates, which were used from 1818 to 1828 by an anti-smuggling force, the Coast Blockade. Oh, shit, okay. However, by the late 1840s, the nation's defenses were in a terrible condition, and improvements slowly followed. Hmm, okay. In 1853, the Inner Bailey and Great Tower were strengthened. This was followed by the Magnificent Officers' New Barracks in 1856 to a design by Anthony Salvin, and better buildings for the soldiery, including the Regimental Institute in 1868 and the Garrison School in 1870. Oh my, I'm sorry, I just cannot stop being impressed by this place. From 1865, the building of a new fortress, Fort Bourgogne, B-U-R-G-O-Y-N-E. Bourgogne? Bourgogne, that's French. Bourgogne. Bourgeois? (laughs) Bourgeois. Bougie? Oh, Lord. There went all of our French listeners. There goes the UK listeners. Great, we lost two countries in one fucking sentence. That's fantastic. Nobody can do that but us. We're the best at it. Cheers, Clink. Cheers, Clink. (laughs) Oh, well, that was good. That was good. Leia was getting ready to snore, so I was like, hello, wake up. Don't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) From 1865, (laughs) the building of a new fortress at Fort Burgoyne, To the north was the final acknowledgement of the weakness of the spur, but the castle found a new role in coast defense, 
with four groups of large guns built in 1871 to 74 along the cliff edge. They were capable of firing far out to sea against the new threat of steam-driven ironclad warships. And flash forward... I say it like, God, I remember those days. I remember those days. God, they were awful. They were terrible. Flash forward, when Britain declared war on Germany on August 4th, 1914, Dover Harbor became the home of the Royal Navy's Dover Patrol to defend the Dover Strait, particularly against German submarines, and to protect communications for the army in France and Flanders. Dover had a garrison of around 16,000 troops, with the castle as headquarters, to defend a perimeter occupying the high ground around the town for up to a mile and a half. The harbor approaches were defended by coast defense guns, while the new threat from airships and airplanes was addressed by anti-aircraft guns, including two near St. Mary and Castro. Oh my god. In 1939, Dover resumed its former role when war came again with the castle as headquarters, but for the army garrison defending the town and for the re-established Royal Navy base. The empty underground casemates were recommissioned as bomb-proof offices for the Mm. vice admiral in charge of the naval base and as headquarters for army units coordinating coast artillery and anti-aircraft defenses and for the units defending the Dover Fortress. Yeah, Dover became a, a huge um, oh. Oh. for World War Two. It it became a huge target. It's the closest by Hitler and his yeah. It was forces. the very closest ground to France and the rest of Europe. Yeah, and and by this point, yeah, it I mean, it was. Um, I, I'm I'm I just can't stop being. Amazed that it's been a strategic standpoint for over two thousand years. As close as most recently as World War Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. just like flabbergasted. Oh, no. Just by wait. It. There's more. Oh, cool. Okay. These commands expanded throughout the war as Dover became the nearest town to enemy-occupied territory in June 1940. Vice Admiral Ramsey's naval headquarters played a central role in Operation Dynamo with the evacuation of 338,226 British and Allied troops from Dunkirk. Yes, yes. And yes, that Dunkirk. The Dunkirk, yes. Two new levels of tunnels were built. The old ones were now called Casemate Level. The first, called Annex, was completed in early 1942 as a small hospital. The second, called Dumpy... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just... You I know, was, I, when I was... Comp- Archie literally when made was, his lip when he said that, because he was like, was, don't laugh, Archie. Uh, and then I, I did. Honestly, I could have put in my notes, pause for laugh. <laughs> I know, Carrie. She's going to laugh. The second, called Dumpy, opened in 1943 as a combined operation center with provision for large-scale communication transmission. The latter played a significant role in Operation Neptune, the naval side of the plan for D-Day, and also in a successful deception operation known as Fortitude South, which convinced the Germans that the main invasion of Europe would be in the Calais area, not Normandy, and that it would be launched from the Dover area. Oh, God! Yeah. Oh, 
I yep. love the history of this place. I think it's one of my top five favorite histories you've done oh, so far. Oh, good. Yeah. I absolutely, I just love it. I love it. The army vacated the castle in 1958, except for Constable's Gate, which remained as a senior officer's residence until 2015. In the early 1960s, the government selected Dover Castle as one of 12 regional seats of government to be occupied in the event of nuclear war. Oh, yes! It was to be in the charge of a senior minister with a military and civilian staff tasked with creating some form of administration after a nuclear attack. That's what I was telling you about was coming more. Yeah, yeah. The heart of this was in dumpy level. I'm sorry, that just sounds like a a rejected, (laughs) like one of the dwarves that Snow White was like, no. Mm. No. You're done. You're done. (laughs) No, that's not how that works. No, that's not how that works. (laughs) (laughs) The heart of this was in dumpy level, with Annex refitted as a dormitory, and the western tunnels of Casemate repurposed as dormitories, dining and catering areas and restrooms. The complex was sealed against contamination and given air filtration and communications equipment, including a small TV broadcasting studio. Oh, yes! And this was all decommissioned in the early 1980s. Yes, and that TV studio is the BBC. Oh, no shit. Mm -hmm. Look at that. And that's funny, that rounds out my portion. That is amazing. Archie, you did such a phenomenal job. I... Yay! I had a good resource. I'm very happy about EnglishHeritage.org.uk. They have exemplary... Aaron. Fantastic writer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I... I know you. You and I have been friends since we were little, little, littles. And you don't know how to accept a compliment. I don't. I really at don't. all. And, and I you really always didn't do anything for this, but copy and paste. No, you didn't. <clears throat> but you do. I know how you do your research, and you choose what information to include and what information to leave out. Plus, it also has it has to do with your delivery and and of of the information. So Thank you, you do a phenomenal job. Thank and you. this was this was. I'm telling you, I'm t- top five of the of oh, the ones that you've done. It's just, I mean, you've really hit the ball out of the park. Well, thank you. Yeah, this was really, really great. Um, with, I, yeah. With that said, let's take a break and get these insanely hot earphones off our heads. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As always, guys, we will be right back with the hauntings of Dover Castle um, because who wouldn't want to follow that? I mean. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> please, always, as always, for extra credit, please listen to one of our buddy podcasts, and we will be right back with the hauntings of Dover Castle. Just a sec. Hi, I'm Cassie. I'm Tiffany. And we're the hosts of Happy Hour Gets Weird. On our podcast, we talk all things weird, like UFOs, Bigfoot, astrology, ghosts, and even true crime. And every episode, we create a fabulous new cocktail. So fabulous. If you're looking for a little weirdness, please search Happy Hour Gets Weird on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. (laughs) 
Why were we recording all of that? I don't know. Sorry. Uh, we're back. Guys, hi. Um, we paused for uh, our buddy podcast promo. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we decided to have a very serious lunch from uh, Babo Italian Eatery. Oh, yes. Which is really good. So good. Um, and now we're tired, and I, I, we do this often, and I'm like, <laughs> why, why? Then I have to like try to slog through my part when all I want to do is nap. Uh, well, that's how we sabotage ourselves. Cool. One like we weren't the, just doing one it. Of the while many, we... many ways we sabotage <laughs> ourselves. We don't just do it while we talk. <laughs> we gotta try and find other ways. Anyway. Uh... What was the location we were doing? <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. But I am pretty full and tired. Ugh. It was good. It was good. It was really good. Uh, so yes, we were doing Dover Castle, and my source is, let's talk about the ghosts. But before we talk about the ghosts, let me go on 19 sidebars, because everybody loves those. Especially <laughs> you, Archie. You're like, God damn it. Here we go. <laughs> I just wanted to do, just kind of... Um, add on to your history part. So when I was doing my research, I got a number of my stories from various YouTube videos. And I did find one that also, P.S. I know when we have a heavy lunch and I do my part, I look at Archie yawning all the time. (laughs) I try to keep it on the inside. I really do. I mean, you succeed because it doesn't like translate. You can't hear it, but it's, just get out and go. Yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> Just go. We've lost Archie. Goodbye. <laughs> but when I look at you while I'm talking, and you're like so seriously trying to stifle a yawn, I'm like, this is the most boring shit I could have found. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so we really need to stop eating lunch <laughs> in between our parts. It's ridiculous. Uh, we're coming up on a year, so maybe in the second year we can be better. Okay. Um... Fingers crossed. And have maybe we have breakfast first instead of lunch. Oh, yeah, that would be smart. There we, well, you'd still yawn because you'd order a big breakfast <laughs> and then be like... <gasps> <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> that painful face people make where they're really trying hard not to yawn and like look interested at the same time, so it's kind of bug-eyed <laughs> and a long, drawn, like... <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, lean back. I have to edit this. <laughs> um, anyway, so <laughs> during my research, I got a lot of it from various YouTube videos. And one of the ones that I had watched was Great British Castles, which is hosted by a really wonderful host whose name escapes me. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, I've seen a number of the shows, and you'd think I'd remember his it name. isn't Sir David Attenborough, is it? It is not. Oh, okay. It's not. Um, and it's actually hosted by a much younger, hotter guy. Oh, I see how it is. And I actually think he does, like, British and Ir- Irish castles. Castles in Ireland, and I think Scotland, too. Oh. It's a British TV show. Anyway, so he had done <laughs> an episode on Dover Castle, and he was talking... About um, that's where I had found that the um, during the Napoleonic Wars, it was France that was trying to get through to the castle. If they couldn't go over it, they'd go through the cliffs mm-hmm. and go up under mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. That's where I heard that story, and then I had heard 
Um, or rather, I had watched. He had invited. So you were talking about the Battle of Dunkirk, mm-hmm. and um, apparently, in that particular um, situation, situation with World War Two, Winston Churchill knew that that part of England was vulnerable, and they and he needed somebody that was going to uh, be able to fortify that that part of the country or island, rather. Um, from the invasion from France and the um, Axis forces. So he had instilled a general to kind of spearhead all of that. Mm. And the guy had chosen Dover Castle because of the tunnels. And at the time, it wasn't publicly known that the tunnels were there. Right. Right. And so that's why he had chosen it. So um, the host of the show had located and invited one of the men at Dunkirk to come on his show. Oh, wow. And interview him. Um, and if I get choked up, I'm just warning you. It, it was a very touching moment. So the host of the show is down on the beach with the, the chalk cliffs behind them. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman who had been um, there on the beach during Dunkirk was talking about how him and his um, his his buddy were were pulling their comrades out of the ocean that were had been injured and wounded mm. during the battle, and they were um, looking down at themselves and they were watching like he was watching blood drip from under the sleeves of of his comrade's coat. Um, and, and down his hands onto the, the beach. And he was like, you're bleeding, mate. And the guy looked at him and he was like, so are you. And so they were like, oh, we don't feel wounds. So they lifted up their, the sleeves of their jackets and their shirts. And they realized that they weren't bleeding. They weren't injured. It was simply just the blood in the ocean of the bodies that they were pulling out. And they were reaching down in the water up to their shoulders that that was, there was so much blood in the ocean that it was running down their arms through their sleeves and down their fingertips that it actually looked like they were bleeding and injured. Oh my God. And how traumatic and and, and awful that that was. And the host of the show, this gentleman was... um, I believe in his 90s, and he wore his uniform. He was a, a British soldier, and he wore his uniform with all of his medals and everything on it to be on this show. Mm. Um, so when he was talking to the host of the show, who, again, his name escapes me, but he was saying that um, it, it was really odd for him to be standing in the very same spot X amount of years later at how peaceful and quiet and beautiful the beach is now. Oh God, I can't even imagine to feel those feelings. Yes, it was, I was like, oh my God. Um, And so because he was, he was such an, he's, and this episode aired several years ago and I'm, I'm sorry guys, I don't know if the gentleman is still alive. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but, um, he was standing there and he was holding the arm of, he was holding onto the arm of the host. And the host said, well, you're 
part of the reason why this is what it is today. And all of your efforts and everything that you and your comrade did that day on this beach mm-hmm. are is why we are able to stand here and marvel in how beautiful and tranquil and peaceful it is. Yeah. And the guy, the the soldier, got this look on his face of sort of almost like realization and said something to the effect of how um, he he had never really thought about it that way and how now humbling it was to stand in that very same spot and when at the time both him and his friend didn't know if they would make it off that beach. (laughs) But to stand there and how humbling it was to stand there all these years later on the very same beach that was basically red with blood and know that he had a part in defeating Hitler and 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 saving all of these people and all of these countries and all of these lives and how how humbling it was. He was like, I guess when you put it that way, it is very humbling. I never thought of it like that. And I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> Side note, both Carrie and I are teary eyed right yeah. now. <laughs> it was really truly remarkable. Oh. I was like, Oh my god. It was just really um really amazing. You don't um you don't you don't often think about um, you don't often think about things like that. Certainly not our generation. Oh. Maybe our parents' generation. Maybe um, because they were starting to be born during it or just after right. that baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not entirely. Maybe not Koi's generation. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of um, articles that you see where you know a lot of folks don't know as much about World War II and, and, and things like that, that as, as they should. It's certainly not being taught as much as it was when even we were in school. True. So it was pretty amazing to um, watch that and, and, and have the host just kind of like word it to this, this gentleman in a way that... It, it, you made a difference. You made a difference. The, this beach is, is what it is because of your efforts on this very sand. Yeah. 40, 50 years ago. God, that's heavy. It was really heavy. It was really amazing. And the guy was just so moved and touched that maybe he realized at that moment he had made such a difference. Right on, like, at the base of the cliffs, right below this castle. So listening to your history of it was really amazing just to know that this castle had been through so much and so many different battles and so many different wars and is still standing today. so long. Yeah. Yeah. Just remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Um, so, after bringing everybody down, <laughs> or lifting everybody up, which is really what it should have done, um, let me bring you down, and we'll talk about the death and the ghost. <laughs> um, so I got uh, most of my information from, again, those various YouTube videos, great-castles.com. And Haunted History's former Facebook page. They've since changed the name of it, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, there's a lot of um, books and movies and things that have been written and made about the ghosts at Dover Castle. Um, specifically, there's uh, one, two, three... Most popular ghosts. Um, and a couple of stories that you'll... you're likely to find over and over when you 
you know, look into it. But I want to read the um, excerpt from a book called, I believe it's called Eight Ghosts, and it's about um, various places throughout the UK. And a gentleman named Richard Jones has written this about Dover Castle. Okay. Quote, Archie didn't care. He just got in his car and left. Yeah, sorry. Son of a bitch. (laughs) So, uh, Richard Jones writes, During the Napoleonic Wars, a young drummer boy was reputedly murdered in the labyrinth of subterranean passages that lie beneath the castle. Have you... Did you come across this? No. You didn't? Mm Mm-mm. Oh, cool. It's kind of rare. Sometimes you do stumble across some of this. Sometimes I do, but when my source was... Englishheritage.org.uk. They tend to leave out okay. the unsightly stuff. Okay. All right. So, that makes sense. Anyway, so a young drummer boy was reputedly murdered in the labyrinth of subterranean passages that lie beneath the castle. Presumably, the boy's assailants, um, he was... Uh, uh, transporting um, goods for the king or somebody through the passages to mm-hmm. somebody else. And thieves found out about it, followed him through, decapitated him, and stole his goods. Uh, during a war? Uh, it doesn't say, like, during a battle, but during the time of the wars. During yeah. the time of the war. That's pretty despicable. I mean, it was a war. Do you really... I mean, mean, why? I mean, that's just... I mean, if we're going to start to unravel, like, the human, shitty human condition... That's another four-hour episode. (laughs) And another podcast. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, um, the phantom apparently strolls along the battlements without its head. Oh. Uh, also the, (laughs) um, throughout the battlements, also the castle grounds, um, the torso of this poor soul has been seen on many occasions, also, um, wandering through the ramparts, various areas of the castle, and can often be preceded by the sound of banging on his drum in a slow, methodical beat. Oh, that's not creepy at all. Not at all. I mean, I feel like it's very welcoming. Um, (laughs) It reminds me of the little boy that was sent through when they found the the tunnels in um, Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of that little kid who they were like, play your bagpipes and keep so we know where to follow you. And then the bagpipes just stopped. Stopped. About like a half a mile or so outside of the castle in the Uh, tunnels. It reminds me of that. Terrible. Terrible. So he goes on to say that within the solid walls of the old keep, a woman in a flowing red dress, there it is, Mm. (laughs) uh, red dress, white dress, black dress, we're here for it. Um, A woman in a flowing red dress shares her ethereal domain with a male specter in the garb of a cavalier uh, in the underground tunnels, formerly, this sounds super welcoming, Formerly known as Hellfire Corner. Oh, very nice. Witnesses have reported seeing the shades of several World War II personnel. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by this. Uh, this it, these next two tales I'm about to tell are some of my favorites. But the first one, here an American couple 
also, while on a tour, had heard screams and cries, which they considered to be impressively realistic sound effects until the staff told them there were no such recreations at the castle. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I read this in the podcast, I'm like, ew, no, fuck no. But if I were there, I'd be like, I want to try to hear that again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Did you hear that? No? Just me? Are you sure? Are, you Are we sure? sure? Yeah. Can we go check that out? Let's go. Let's go check that out. Um, this other one was um, the experience that two television researchers had who, um, I guess while they were walking past the keep, heard a scream from above as though someone had just flung themselves from the battlements. Convinced that a suicide was plummeting toward them, they actually leapt for cover and waited to hear the impact of the body on the ground. Oh, God. Moments later, the screams ceased. They went out to take a look, but nobody had made contact with the ground. There was nothing there. Oh, God. Right? Something that sounds so real, you think somebody's actually jumping off of a building, and that you try to run to get out of the way... And yeah. only for it to be nothing, that's wild. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. Um, I don't know how I would react to that. But again, it reminds me back to Lep Castle and the little girl that is said to have been seen falling mm-hmm. off of the building. It also reminds me of um, the Hotel Cecil mm-hmm. and the woman that actually jumped off the building. And this wasn't like an apparition sighting. This was a woman who... Who, the one who committed suicide and actually mm-hmm. hit a pedestrian walking by, killing him too. Yeah. I, I just can't even fathom hearing yeah. something like that. And for it to sound so real and like that you feel the need to dive out of the way. Yeah. Hear the noise and then there's nothing that would be terrifying. That's, I think that's the stuff of nightmares. Mm, for sure. I think. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I can come up with scarier nightmares, but, <laughs> I mean, to experience that in, like, your waking life, I think would be really terrifying. Uh, agreed. Yeah? You on board with me with that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good, <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, so, uh, ah, yes, sorry, lost my place. Um, <laughs> there's also um, a number of sightings of... The ghosts of military men in full uniform, which... Of course. Not surprising. Right. (laughs) Seriously. Um, One in particular um, has been seen in um, full uniform in the secret underground tunnels, and um, a number of World War II soldiers are also commonly seen still performing their regular duties. So, uh, residual haunts, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um... In the middle of the night, security and any staff that's been cleaning up um, have reported voices, um, hearing voices and seeing doors opening and closing on their own. Cold spots are often experienced and whispering is often heard. Uh, Ghostly footsteps sometimes echoing in the stairwells. Um, And one member of the staff has actually, (laughs) actually reported seeing a pair of feet walking up the spiral staircase near the Great Hall. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so far we have the um, torso of a headless child and feet walking up the stairs, which, um, okay. 
Okay. It's it's about to, it's not gonna get prettier. Mm. There are more body parts. Um, <laughs> yay! <laughs> um, I want. I got a lot of my information from YouTube videos, and they were uh, such fun. Just such fun. Um, <laughs> one video was um, what a tourist had taken, um, and it. This woman was talking about a man named Thomas, who was a part. Uh, I'm going to butcher this because it's French. God damn it. Hang on. Let me <laughs> get my wits about me. Um, okay. He was a petardier's assistant. Oh. You look like you know what that is. That's, that's big confidence. Oh, good job. <laughs> Thank you. That, good job. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah totally and even the look on your means. face, you were like, I totally get it. I know what I that is. I can't believe you know what that is. Don't know what that is. <laughs> Why aren't you in Hollywood? Okay. So a petardier's assistant was basically somebody whose job it was to carry a bomb or a missile to the place where it was to be exploded. Oh. Uh, (laughs) Oh, well, that took a dark turn. I mean, it's my part. Of course it did. (laughs) Um, The bomb he carried was called a petard. Petardier's assistant, a mm. petard. Okay. Um, and he was to take it and place it at the gates. Um, so he was with the um, enemy side. And his job was to take it and place it at the gates, where when it went off, the gates would be blown open. And they would have access to infiltrate the castle. He hung the petard on the gate with a hook, lit it, and took off running. Um, but... While he was doing this, there was a battle that was raging all around him, and he actually ended up getting struck in the foot by a musket ball. So he hit the ground, and he couldn't get up and keep running. Uh. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, so apparently, as he looked back, the petard exploded, and he was killed instantly. Um, so his ghost now roams the battlements at Dover. Charming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, there was another video that featured a tour guide who told the story of a woman who was on his tour, and while he was telling the group, they were down in the tunnel area, so while he was telling the group about the history of the tunnels, he noticed one of the women in his group was staring at something pretty intently down the hall, um, and then I guess they were at the entrance of this hallway, um... As he continued on with his story, he noticed her face go from mild curiosity to pretty tremendous alarm, and then she started to slowly back up into the people behind her that had like kind of gathered, like of the group. Right. She started to back up into the group and then gasped and dropped to the ground. Um, every she didn't faint or anything, and everyone asked if she was okay, and she said that she was, and so then they just continued on with the tour, and, and she stayed with them. Um, afterward, however, she went up to the guide and said she wasn't sure what to say or what happened, but she felt that he needed to know. Apparently, while the group was stopped and listening to him in that area, she saw a man in World War II military dress down that hallway checking a piece of equipment. And as she watched him, he turned and looked at her and started to walk toward her. As he got closer, she saw him walk through the blockage, the block, like, they have it, like, stanchioned off Mm -hmm. so that tourists can't go down that hallway. 
She saw him walk through it. Um, he kept marching toward her before walking right through her and into the group of people behind her. At that's the point where she had gasped and fallen to the ground because she had been so terrified. But when he looked at her, he wasn't looking at her because his eyes kept affixed on her face until he got to a certain point and then was still like looking beyond her when he got to the point where he actually walked through her. Wow, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, so that to me was a clear residual. But I wonder what it felt like. You know what I mean? I think she pretty accurately. <laughs> I mean, like, was it cold? Represented yeah. like, her feelings at the time. Isn't that insane? That's crazy. I thought that was wild. I was like, ooh. Um, <laughs> another ghost has been spotted in the king's bedchamber. Um, this ghost has been described as the lower half of a man seen walking through the doorway and then vanishing. Apparently two female staff members saw this apparition uh, in the bedchamber during one evening of searching the keep. So at the end of the night, they just kind of like wander through, make sure there are no tourists draggling and lost. Um, They followed this apparition into the chamber only to find out that it had disappeared and there was no other exit into or out of the king's chamber. Um, Nobody knows why. Nobody knows, rather nobody knows who this is or why it's just the lower half that is always seen. So, here we have more body parts. <laughs> we got a torso and a headless kid. We've got feet, and now we have a lower half of an apparition. Okay. I don't recall any other location we've done up till now with just parts. <laughs> I think this is really weird, and also a little alarming. I couldn't... If I were to see a full apparition... I, it would be terrifying, but I'd still be, like, interesting. Just like in the 1910 jail episode, with that that shadow of the arm coming out of the bars and, like, reaching back in. It was just an arm, but you just, you had the assumption it was attached to a body. Right, right, right. A shadow body in the cell. This is just <laughs> parts of bodies? <laughs> I, I, I can't. I just, I just can't. Um, uh, yeah, so nobody knows who this person is or why it's just the lower half. Um, with as many wars as this particular castle has been a part of, I, I feel like it's a pretty obvious reason. Yeah. Um, anyway, the woman in the red dress is often seen at the west stairway of the castle and the mural, mural gallery at the top of the keep. No facial features are ever seen on her, but if her presence, um... If you were in her presence, it's usually preceded by sobbing or crying. Hmm. Yeah. And then people gener- gen- generally will see her apparition. I couldn't say genuinely or generally. <laughs> Genuinarily? I don't know. Um, Aaron, write that down. <laughs> There's also been reports of a figure in blue being seen also in the mural gallery, but it, this one has not yet been identified as male or female. Um, so it will just, for, you know, PC terms, they or them. <laughs> we'll just use they, them pronouns, they for, them this, pronouns. for this particular person. <laughs> <laughs> um, a male figure has been described um, as that 
is in another area of the castle as handsome and wearing early 17th century cavalier style clothing. Um, this person was seen by a female staff member all the way back in 1990, which to me was like 30, 20, maybe 10 like years ago. 10 minutes ago. All right. 90 was just... Just right around the corner. Right around the corner. Not that far away. Not, not 30 years ago no. So just the other day in 1990, this female staff member described a male figure as handsome and wearing 17th century cavalier style clothing. Uh, she had been clearing, not clearing, cleaning an area of the basement. Uh, she said that he was wearing a wide brimmed hat with a purple cloak that draped to the floor. He also had long, dark, wavy hair and a mustache. He stared at her for about 30 seconds before just disappearing in front of her eyes. It's a fair amount of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, this is a really detailed description, yeah, but then pretty, she was like, looking at him for 30 seconds. I'm like, okay, that's She a looked lot. him up and down a couple of times to get that. Right? And I, I don't know if... I, I would like to think that I would be cognizant enough to be like, note his appearance. Purple cloak down to the floor. It's blue. He's got long, wavy hair. He's got a mustache. Maybe he's one of the three musketeers. Am I in the right country for that? No, I'm not. I don't. Like, I feel like <laughs> I would like to think I would have that kind of like, mental capacity, especially if then he was just going to disappear in front of me. Right. Um, I guarantee I wouldn't. Um, also, the three musketeers were French. They would not be. A Dover Castle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the tunnels, which uh, to me this makes a lot of sense, but in the tunnels, um, ghosts are sighted down here far more frequently than up above in the castle or on the grounds. Mm -hmm. um, there was often, and I say was often, um, a soldier seen wearing a helmet carrying a pike that walked through the walls into the guard room. Um, it would walk through one wall and then out again through the other. So another residual. Mm -hmm. Here's what's interesting on this one, though. The original report was made in 1979, and there haven't been any other reported sightings of this particular soldier from any of the current staff. Huh. Yeah. So let's make a mental note or... Not mental. We're not good at mental notes. Let's write it down <laughs> to ask Tony and Cherie and Chris and Audra um, of EVPI uh, how that works. Right. Residuals. Yeah. Do they do they just eventually stop? Is it on a perpetual lifetime like loop forever? I don't. Or I do like they do they learn? Do they learn? But a residual haunt is just like a recording of an event of mm -hmm. one event. Yeah. So, let's let's make some kind of note to ask them. <laughs> I literally thought you were going to message them right now, and I thought that's brilliant. Keep it up. No, he just clicked keys on just clicked randomly keys. on his keyboard. Anyway, all right, Chris, you're a Patreon. Please message us and let us know how that works. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> 
please. Um, another male apparition, this one in a blue cloak, has been seen walking along the passageways on more than one occasion. And one of the most common reports in the area of the tower section of tunnels, um, the sound of banging doors described as heavy wooden doors being slammed shut. So that's got to be kind of a distinctive sound. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that a a heavy wooden door being slammed shut is any kind of quiet. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. We'll see. So my last thing that I want to talk about with regard to the hauntings is a visitor's experience that um, this person wrote about on um, Haunted History's former Facebook page, and I thought it was fascinating. So go ahead and guess what I'm going to say if you can. (laughs) Um, So this person writes, quote, My paranormal experience relates to the 1990s sighting of a cavalier near Dover Castle. My dad found your, your story only recently, and has just told me of it. It has amazed us after what we saw that someone else had such a similar experience. We had more or less ignored our sighting. It is so weird to have someone else with such a similar one. We had spent the night in Deal seeing friends, returning late with my dad driving. I was the front passenger, and my mom was in the back seat. The sighting took place driving down the road leading to Dover Castle, approaching the bend on the road just after the bus stop. We all saw a tall figure, all dark, running up the hill toward us. Straight away, I knew it was far too quick to make sense. The figure's legs and arms were flailing, and it passed us in a flash, as if traveling the same speed as a car. I watched the figure as it approached, and went past the car, and watched it fading into the darkness in the side mirror. It did not disappear, only faded into the darkness as anyone would late at night, around 1.30 a.m. or so this was. The only features clearly visible for me were a long cloak and a wide hat. The cloak was flapping away and the hat was obvious on the head. I did not know what to say and sat quiet for a few seconds and then asked, Did you see that? Sure enough, my parents confirmed it. My mom said she saw long flowing dark hair out from under the hat. None of us had actually believed in ghosts. My mom is religious and and is so not keen on stuff like that. As my dad has said, how strange it is to have a similar figure description for Dover Castle when we all thought it had nothing but soldiers or drummer boys. Wow. Yeah, what haunted it? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So I think that's really interesting that, you know, that that guy has been seen in and out of the castle. Oh, he gets around. Absolutely gets around. Just like that little girl in um, Plymouth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts episode. Um, So if you haven't, if you haven't listened to that, please go ahead and check that out. And you'll, you'll know what we're talking about, about the little girl who not only haunts her house, but the neighbors too. (laughs) Um, There were also two employees that have, that had seen a body hanging from the roof of the St. John Chapel um, and had since refused to go in there ever again, which I, I as, don't blame as, them. As you do. As you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did all of my research this morning um, just about an hour before you got here to record, so I didn't get the opportunity to finish watching this one video. 
um, but I definitely do want to see it. Uh, Most Haunted is a um, British paranormal reality television show, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. they did an investigation, a live investigation, at Dover Castle at Christmas one year. Oh, no. Yes. And so they had a bunch of different um, experts in, a psychologist, they had a clairvoyant, a clairaudient, and they were doing a live um, investigation of Dover Castle. And I really enjoy these kinds of these kinds of shows, like Ghost Hunters has done it, and I do believe Ghost Adventures has done it too. It's interactive, where it's all done live, and then the viewer can either call, text, or um, write, in, in, like I think an email, um, or tweet, anything. So they have all these live cameras, and it's all live, and, if, and the viewer sees something weird going on in one area, they can actually tweet the team and say, hey, I just saw this, that, or the other thing in this room. Huh. And then the team can run down there and like kind of check it out. So it was a, it was a show similar to that, um, that kind of format. And it's on YouTube. The entire episode is on YouTube. It was done several years ago in the nineties. Sorry, my ear itched. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was like, oh, feedback. Fe-. No, no feedback. Just high pitched wailing in everyone's ears. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. I know. I have sort of their earphone in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I didn't get the opportunity to watch all of it, um, just, like, the introductory portion of it, but the whole episode is on YouTube, if you guys want to check it out, Most Haunted's Investigation of Dover Castle, and I think it's, like, an hour, and uh, almost an hour and a half, uh, and they did it at Christmas, which I thought was interesting, um, maybe because of the little drummer boy, which I think is a little too on the nose, but Mm, I, you know what, maybe there was another reason and they explained it, I just didn't watch the episode, but I... Uh, if you're interested, I, I encourage it. I'm going to try to myself when I find, you know, time in about five years. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, guys, yeah. So, Arch, that's okay. what I got uh, on the ghosts. What do you what do you think? Was I was kind of surprised that there weren't, like, more. You'd think this place would just be you rife with, with them. You'd think with the but... long history this mm-hmm. place has, do you For think sure. there would be more? But there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... And there's the 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 same ones that are that are constantly seen and, mm-hmm. and detected and, and caught on evidence. Um, there may be m- much much more. I think I've read or I watched a YouTube video that said um, that maybe the ghost of Thomas Beckett also haunts it because he has a chapel in the in the castle too. Um, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> And if you remember from way long ago, our Tower of London episode, Thomas Beckett is was said to haunt the Tower of London until King Henry the second or third, maybe the seventh. I can't. Remember. I'm getting my Henrys confused. Uh, it was Henry the second that built this one. Third. The third built this one. Third continued um, refurbishing. Okay, so then it was Henry the second that actually got into a battle of wills with Thomas Beckett and had him murdered. Okay. No, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like literally I know, I'm looking li- back. I'm reading like, back through my notes like, I don't remember that. But no, that was yeah. a different one. Yeah, it was Tower of Blood. Don't you remember every single thing you've ever said on every single episode, Archie? I mean, God. Oh, only everything I regret. <laughs> This is about the way it goes. Anyway, I, Thomas Beckett um, was murdered by one of the Henrys far before Henry VIII. And um, he was known to haunt 
Tower of London, and I believe I read something where he also um, is has been seen in Dover Castle because he also has a chapel named after him in Dover Castle as oh, well. He just splits his time. I mean, I suppose if yes. you're like, I wouldn't want to be just like hamstrung one place for the rest of your existence. Exactly, just the one place. Like, what if I was stuck haunting this fucking house forever? I'd be super pissed. Oh, I'm bored. Bored. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, that's Dover Castle, guys. Uh, drop us a line. Let us know. Um, we, if you would like to become a Patreon, again, patreon.com slash H-O-A-H podcast. You get so much more of this nonsense, and you pay for it. And we are grateful. <laughs> so please, please, please sign up for Patreon. We have so much fun stuff coming your way in um, for the holiday season and in the next year. And uh, that's all I have. Arch, what do you have in closing? Just our free social media posts on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at HOAH Podcast. Also Mm -hmm. our website at Mm HOAHpodcast.com. Carrie's laid out twice the Patreon information. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Patreon.com, HOAH Podcast. Yeah. Very subtle. Thank you. Very subtle. (laughs) Join Patreon. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's all I got. All right. Join Patreon. <laughs> okay. That's all I have too. All I mean, right. Join okay. Patreon. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We will be back. Uh, what's our next episode? I can't remember. Oh, I can't either. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with joining Patreon. Oh. No, I couldn't. No, you don't think so? Oh, I'm sure we've only dropped it six times. Join Patreon. Uh, yeah, you know what? You're you're right. Um, wow, we're fucking stupid. <laughs> I know. You know what our next episode is? No, I don't. I just know we're fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're really fucking stupid because it's our anniversary episode. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> God, we are so stupid. <laughs> Join Patreon. Join Patreon. <laughs> Get more stupid content. Two dollar level, five dollar okay. level. Stop it! Just stop it. <laughs> Make it stop. I'm disappointed in us. Uh, yeah, I you can be disappointed in us too. Just join Patreon. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs> oh, we didn't do our usual. Stay safe, because you never know who or what is listening and asking you to join Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. We love you. Bye.